0: at the, as we work through James expositionally, we are in the last part of chapter 4. And uh, so what, one thing we don't do here is really topical uh, preaching. Maybe once in a while there'll be something necessary to preach on topically, but expositionally we're moving through the word of God, which is inerrant, uh, it's perfect, and we seek to explain the truth. Explain the word. Explain the verse by verse. Sometimes word by word, and exposit that word. Explain it. Teach it, and then apply that truth to our lives. So, uh, we're looking at the end again, thirteen through seventeen. But I just wanted to give a quick recap of chapter four, and which is really is showing us many issues of pride and envy and lust, and it's by pride that you. You cannot you cannot obtain what you want, and you know it's it's the source of, of fighting and quarreling amongst us. You don't get what you want because you ask with wrong motives. Like to the Lord, you ask amiss. Our prayers might not be it's maybe self-centered and not according to God's will. We're seeking your our will be done. It's our pride by pride that we choose friendship with the world or desire ways and things just more than him. It's reminded to us that friendship is hostility towards God. It's enmity. The world, it's, it's a warning for us. The world is not something to, 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 to taste. And it's not something, it's not like a, a pool of water when you go beside it or a pond to, see, to dip your toes in to see if it's warm or not. You, you don't play with it. a dangerous waters. But then we take a positive turn as we move through the chapter and to the only solution, the, the problem of pride, it's in humility. By the grace of God, that we, that we turn to God. Sorry, something in my eye. We draw near to Him and we, He draws near to you. We submit to God, we turn from sin, Resist and flee from the devil, and he will flee from you. Turn from pride, kill sin. And it goes on in the text, be miserable, mourn, and weep over sin. That's that's the loathing we should have as sinning against the God of love. It says, humble yourself, and he will exalt you, he will lift you up. Then last week we looked at the ramifications of speaking against a brother. Which is it's an issue of pride as well, verses eleven and twelve. And one does this, he is speaking against the law, condemning the law, because it's it's contrary to the law of, of loving your neighbour as yourself. Two, he makes himself a judge of the law, therefore not a doer. If you're a judge, you're not a doer of the word. If you make yourself a judge, in short, you're enthroning yourself and you're dethroning God. And it's, that's usurping his role as the only lawgiver and the only judge because he's the only one that truly knows the hearts and motives of men and women. Yes, we, we may see things, certain revealings or fruits or whatever, but it's only God who knows the heart of man. It says, if you're not a doer of the law, which you've heard maybe before, if you're not a doer of the law, you know, and if you do not keep His commandments, then you are a liar and the truth is not in you. So I pose the question again, who are you? What do people see when they look at your life? Pride or humility?
1: What behaviors are you know, springing forth from that? from that fountain.
0: I just ask us please consider this and examine your heart during this time as we continue to move through the epistle of James which I feel certainly is not an epistle of straw as uh, Martin Luther put it. Which he probably took back later in his life. But anyway, let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your word of truth that we have so such an easy access to it. But I am disheartened that
1: you so easily neglect it. Father, you are the only lawgiver.
0: Because you are perfect and holy. It is the perfect law where man's laws
1: change ever so often. Your promises do not change, Your promises of Christ.
0: knowing him and what he has done,
1: living the perfect life and and dying and shedding his blood, so that our sins could be forgiven, and that you
0: could see his righteousness and not see our sin, and that we could draw near to you, God. Oh, what a blessing you would be so merciful to us sinners. Father, open our hearts today. Open hearts and
1: soften them and drive your word deep. Help us see the glory of Christ and your beauty.
0: In Christ's precious name, amen. Looking at our text, if you're uh, able to steed, uh, stand, we will uh, read together. This is chapter 4 in James, and verses 13 through 17. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a, a city and spend a year there and then engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Maybe seated. So first off, this is not okay, what's not doing. It, it's not condemning wise business planning, but it is condemning pl- planning that is basically a, done only according to your will, which leaves obviously God out and leaves out God's will, His desires, His pleasures. But this does not mean that we take our hands off the wheel and drift, you know, and drift along in life. But in, in humility, we would say, "Okay, Lord, direct my steps." We still have the responsibility to plan our way. Proverbs 6, 9, As a man's heart and mind plans his way, the Lord directs his steps. Sorry, maybe it's 8, 9. Either way. As a man's heart or mind plans his way, the Lord directs your steps. And that's beautiful, knowing that he's in control of that. So, but disregard or even disinterest in doing his will, it reveals a heart of pride. And pride is the underlying sin of conflicts, worldliness, and slander that we've seen throughout James and address. Earlier in verse 6, we saw that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The proud do not submit to God's will, but raise their self-ambition above God's and above the interests of others. The proud do not draw near to God they move away from him and toward everything else in the world. John MacArthur notes that those who refuse to submit to God's will give evidence in their lives and will give evidence that their lives have not been transformed by a saving grace. Based off Titus 2, 11 through 12 Moving into the text uh, today at 13, it says... Again, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city or place and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. So James begins the section with the phrase, come now, which is an, it's just an insistent, it's a brash call uh, for an attention. He uses the same uh, words or introduces the same, uh, or introduces uh, chapter 5 similarly. He says, come now, you rich. In fact, he's saying, listen up, listen up. Here he is specifically addressing the ones who are saying, or you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. So he's giving a warning to merchants or businessmen that are boastfully speaking about tomorrow's plans and profits. In today's terms, it could be, uh, you know, like, this is, this is big talk. You know, we're big talkers. I'm going to go do this and this, and this is going to happen. I'm going to make this profit and make this much money. I'm going to go this place. It's like that. Looking more into the, the, the businessman's or merchant's statement here, uh, I, did, I found John MacArthur's, um, he, he broke this down the five presumptuous elements, uh, which indicates their, their ill-advised confidence. I, just, I found this helpful. Uh, or their, their ill-advised confidence or basically their lack of wisdom in their planning. One, it says, they chose their own time. It says, today or tomorrow. They chose their own location for doing business, such and such a city or place. Three, they chose their own duration, deciding to spend a year there. They chose their own enterprise to engage in business, literally to travel to you know, an area of trade. And then five, they chose their own goal or objective, to make a profit. But James is not, he's not condemning the, the, the profit-making motive here, but he's condemning the behaviors and the attitudes
1: um, that, that spring from the heart of pride. In this planning, there is... Uh, you know, there's the foolish,
0: it's, it's foolish self-confidence, it's, it's a self-dependence and self-will which excludes God. We have to be careful because this is, this is what's taught to us. We're bombarded with it. I mean, movie after movie, commercial after commercial, it's taught in institutions and colleges and schools, and we're indoctrinated with it. It's all about self, our self-power, self-help books. It absolutely leaves out God's will and as a worldly-minded. So and thus, James reveals the worldly presumptions and reminds them who they are. 14. Yet, you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. So I saw, you see two arguments here. You know, it's, it's both parts, 14a and 14b. A yet, yeah. yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow." This could be the echo of Proverbs 27 that says, "Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what the day will bring forth. Only God knows about tomorrow. He is sovereign, and you are not. Tomorrow Christ could come. Tomorrow your house could burn down. Tomorrow your car could break down, you could miss the big sale. Tomorrow you could lose your job. Tomorrow the market could crash. You do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You don't know what will happen. Anything can happen. But God is certain. He is immutable. Unchanging in His ways and His promises and His plans. Isaiah 14, 24 says, As I have planned, so shall it be. And as I have purpose, so shall it stand. So shall it stand. Then the second argument against presumptuous planning you are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. A vapor or a mist. Any, any children, can you think about have you seen, do you know what a vapor is or a mist? Have you ever seen a mist? A mist or a vapor. You ever seen something like that? Any form out in creation somewhere? Come on, Addy. You can not answer. It's okay. You can yell out. A mist or a vapor.
1: It could be like something... Um, I don't know. You, kind of,
0: you call the kind of cloud, but basically it would be a fog. right? It's only there... For a moment, if you look in the respect of a day, right? Or maybe the cloud of smog over California or L.A. in the morning, eventually, <laughs> after a while, fades away. Maybe the sun burns it off. You know, it could be, all uh, my th- thought about the vapor in the midst, it's something that, that briefly fades away as, um, you know, what James compares your life to, it's as your breath when it's cold out. When the warm air comes out of your mouth to meet the cold outside air, the water vapor in your breath condenses into little lots of tiny droplets of liquid water and ice so that you can see in the air as a little fog that briefly fades away. So too is life. Many scriptures show how brief our lives are. Isaiah forty six through 7 it compares life to the flowers of a field. The grass, it says the grass, with, the grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. James in uh, chapter 1, verses 5 and 8, compares the rich man's pursuits to that of a flowering grass that we know fades away. Job 14, 1 through 2, describes it as a leaf before the wind and a shadow. It says, man who is born of woman is short lived and full of turmoil. Like a flower he comes forth and withers. He also flees like a shadow and does not remain. Considering this and knowing this,
1: right, when we examine ourselves, it should consider,
0: examine our heart and our our motives and hence your plans. Are they according to God's will or self-will? Your glory, his glory. Your pleasure or his pleasure. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 2.11, Thus I considered all of my activities, which my hands have done and my labor, the labor which I exerted, and behold,
1: all was vanity. In the end, all was vanity, and there was no profit under. These scriptures show us, it reminds us of our own mortality, our frailty, and
0: just the shortness of human life. I mean, think about that. Just the shortness of life we're here, but just a thread compared to eternity. Not well, even a thread. Therefore,
1: it's foolish trying to plan and live a life without considering God's will. Now, James gives the wise and correct way to plan. We Look at verse 15. It says, Instead, you ought
0: to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. This is planning with reverence to God's providence while admitting our own frailty. If the Lord wills, if the Lord wants, if the Lord pleases, then I will do this or that. So a few things here. First of all, this is a form of speech is frequently used by the saints or children of God. You can see in scriptures, in Acts, for example, 18.21, it says, I will return to you again if God wills. Romans 1.10, if perhaps now at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. 1 Corinthians 4.19, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. Hebrews 6.3 And this we will do, if God permits. You see how it's being submissive to the Lord and His plans. Philippians 2.19 But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you. Thus, secondly, this form of speech should become a common choice of words for us. And it's the way of our planning. But it must always spring from the submissive and humble heart, knowing that God's will and knowing God's will, and therefore, but also believing that God's will determines all things, including the details of our future. That's the hard thing to accept sometimes. Because that in each detail, no matter how painful things that have happened, no matter. How much it doesn't make sense.
1: That God causes all things to work together for good. I mean, that can be easily misunderstood because we think it's... We have have a very narrow understanding of what God's good is and what we think good is. It's God's way of good. And that's why we seek so hard to know
0: God better and dig into His Word to understand what that means, let alone just even His goodness. Thirdly, regarding this, this form of speech should never become an empty, flippant phrase which, would, which in the end would profane the name of God. This phrase can, it can easily, right, just too easily roll off the tongue. Done it myself if the Lord wills, you know. oh, We're going to Grandma's today if the Lord wills, you know. Is that if that would be really from my heart if there was that reverence, reverence there for God and actually His way. But Lord willing, I will do such and such. So we just must just be careful; don't let it become heartless and rote words. Verse sixteen as, "But as it is." you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. King James, ver- or KJV rendering is, but now ye rejoice in your boastings. Yeah, Boasting arrogance, rejoice in your boastings, all such rejoicing is evil. It's like being, it's like proud of your pride. It's probably even worse than just having pride. I don't know. Probably the same thing. The phrase, uh, as the... the Verse begins here, but as it is to be understood as what's really happening here, or what's really going on here, is that you're rejoicing in your boastings. You boast in your arrogance. You are talking with, here's what it means you are talking with excessive pride, where you you are glorying in your own power, your own achievements, your own possessions, and your own abilities. This is the attitude, the behavior that springs from the foolish and ungrateful heart, which has forgotten. Who you are and who God is. Man is frail and finite a vapor. God is all-powerful and infinite and everlasting. Man's love is conditional. God's love is unconditional and endures forever. Man is always changing. God is always the same and no variation. He is immutable. man's heart is deceitful. God is always perfect and holy. Man is the creation. God is the creator of all things. All things. The giver of all things. Man is a doer of the law. God is lawgiver and law applier. Man is dependent. God is completely independent. Man is purchased. God is purchaser. Deuteronomy 32.6 says, Is not he your father who has bought you, who has made you and established you, Anything you have at all has been granted to you by God. He has established you. You have nothing. Therefore, you have nothing to boast in, except the Lord. It's as Jeremiah nine twenty four says, "Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord." See, when we boast in anything but the Lord, when you think about it, it's taking credit from whom the credit is due. It's stealing glory from God and glorying in self. Therefore, all such boasting is evil. All such boasting is evil. It's evil because it comes from an evil cause, pride. It's evil in that it hinders you from humbling duties of grieving and mourning and wailing. Did you hear that? It's it's evil in that it hinders you from humbling duties of of grieving and mourning and wailing over sin. We saw back in verse 9. It's evil in that it keeps you from God's grace. God resists the proud. 1 Peter 3.12 says, For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. His ears attend to their prayer. But his face of the Lord is against those who do evil. May we say, as Paul, in Galatians 6.14, May it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Therefore, To the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Verse 17. Therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. It is sin when you don't do what you know is the right thing to do. According to truth, the word of God, the unchanging law. Back in James 1, verse 22, it said, we've heard many times in the even the cliche in the world, but prove yourselves to be doers of the Word. Be a doer of the Word. Prove yourselves to be doers of the Word, not merely hearers who deceive themselves.
1: If you know the truth, you do the truth. Proving yourself a doer of the Word is just that.
0: It's doing what God commands. That is doing His will. Charlie said up here once, it's not some mystical thing, you know, God's will, trying to figure out what God's will is for you. You might have a specific calling for your
1: life, but doing his will is doing his commandments. It's, a, it's doing the word of God. And when you don't, when you don't, you are killing your relationship with God. You're killing your relationship with God. You're killing yourself. Kill your family, your church.
0: But don't be discouraged if you're having trouble keeping his commandments. You can never do what God, you can never fully do what God commands you to do. You can diligently and intently look into the perfect law of liberty. You can strive to keep his commandments with all your might. You can fervently pray for God's grace to keep your heart and to be, to be rooted and grounded in love, but you'll always fall short of the glory of God. That's why with the Savior, Jesus Christ, thank God.
1: Whose blood atoned for our sins.
0: That we would not only just be safe from hell, but we could see the glory of
1: Christ someday and and see God in heaven. But while on this earth there will always be a thorn some weakness will be
0: your thorn in the flesh. As in Paul's case in 2 Corinthians 12. It's when he implored the Lord three times. Remove this thorn.
1: I don't know what thorn might be in your life. But what's the Lord's response to Paul? God doesn't say, oh sure, let
0: me remove that for you. Make your life easy and comfortable one for you. He doesn't take the thorn away but he reminds him in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 9. He said to me, "My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. My power is made perfect in weakness and our weakness
1: Paul's response, what he doesn't do is become
0: bitter and angry and depressed and mope about and cry. But he says, Therefore, most gladly I would rather boast in my weakness that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my weakness, in reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am made strong.
1: You want strength? It's in Christ. Do you see why we fall short so often?
0: It drives us from our own power and works of righteousness and thus it drives us toward the power and righteousness of Christ. That the power of Christ may dwell in me for when I am weak then I'm made strong it moves moves you away from exalting and boasting in yourself and thus draws you near God and boasting in his grace he gives the greater grace he gives more grace his grace humbles the sinner it's his grace softens the heart and turning it to repentance his grace gives faith to trust in the promise of Christ it's his grace saves you from sin past present and future His grace clothes you with the righteousness of Christ. His grace gives you strength to persevere in trials. It is His grace that gave you all things pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him. By His own glory and excellence. To know this and yet still to boast in self him it is sin It is sin.. As John Owen said, paraphrasing, "Kill sin before it kills you." So by
1: his grace may you turn from sin and turn to God. Turn to Christ. As repentance. It's through God's grace. Repentance is it's it's realizing that you have sinned against the God of love and, and having such a bitter taste of sin that it turns you to the love of Christ. desiring in him and, and submitting to him, submitting his commandments and doing his word. and loving your neighbor. By His grace, may we, may you, use your tongue as
0: a weapon for righteousness and not unto sin. By His grace and humility, seek His will in all your plans and, and pray for Him to guide your steps. For His plans to be your plans. For His desires to be your desires. This. Who you are? This is who you ought to be. Let's pray,
1: Father. Your word it cuts, in that it helps us just taste the bitterness of sin in our lives. Your word helps us see that how frail and that our lives are so brief and just a vapor. It should drive us just the boasting in you. You are everlasting, eternal, unchanging always loving. Lord, help us to take your word through the week, from Sunday to Sunday. May it not be sports and
0: and the desires and lusts of this world that would carry us and that we would
1: desire for to, to bring us through a week. But the power of your word, the power of Christ that takes us from Sunday to Sunday, Father, give us more love for Thee. In Christ's name, amen.